Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Talking about a discernment issue today in the church, uh, Enneagrams, mysticism, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, kind of picking up the theme we, in the last several days, we've been talking about the New Age movement and so much, so many beliefs and practices that fall under that umbrella. But let's open up in prayer as we always do. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this day that you have made. You are faithful and great is your faithfulness. In uh, these uncertain times, Lord, we thank you so much that we can know you, the one true God, that we can have certainty that we are saved. We can have that security because of what Christ has done for us and accomplished on the cross. And we thank you for the what we have to look forward to, Father. This is This life is not all there is. And although uh, hard times many of us are going through, we know that, Jesus, you overcame the world. And uh, we've been warned through Scripture that, we would go through hard times, Lord, but we thank you that they make us stronger. We thank you for these times that test our faith, and we are doing our best, Lord, to consider it all joy when we are encountering various trials. And uh, we love you. Help us to turn to you in all things and trust you in all things. And we lift up this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's talk about the Enneagram of personality. It's been embraced by a growing number of evangelicals. This has been confusing to me a little bit, so I want to really uh, talk to today's guest about how this got to the point it is in the church. But first, it was introduced by uh, disciples of Roman Catholic priest, uh, mystic and contemplative, contemplative father Richard Rohr. It has come to be regarded as a spiritual tool, but it is a, it is a spiritual tool which brings about better understanding of oneself and the God of Scripture. That's a question we need to ask. And this book, it's called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret, brand new book from today's guest, Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach. He's, it's an evangelical and apologetics-driven ministry uh, that Don and his wife founded back in 1995. Don, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. It's good to be back with you. And uh, let's get right into the book. Um, got some really good people talking about it. Um, I really love uh, the fact that Dr. Ron Rhodes, Doreen Virtue, um, just great leaders in the Christian faith, and they uh, spoke highly of the book, and uh, p- people can pick it up on your website and on Amazon. Um, for, first question, let's go back to the need for this kind of book. What led you to decide to dive in and, and put this thing together and write on the Enneagram and Richard Rohr? You know, that is uh, that is the perfect lead-in question because it isn't something that we went looking for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we also want to mention uh, uh, Marsha Montenegro. She's been uh, essential to everything we're doing uh, because she, like we, has have been looking at this, and she's been writing on it since 2011. Um, how did we get involved with this? As I mentioned, and you know, because we've talked about this in the past, because we're a mission to cults and non-Christian religions, our focus is what's going on out there. How can I talk to a Wiccan, a Buddhist, a Hindu, etc.? And we go to events where they hang out in order to make contact and talk with them. In the process, though, from time to time, we discover, usually because people are calling us with questions about particular groups, heresy within the church that almost nobody is addressing for some reason, or if they are, it's uh, sort of uh, silenced in a, in a sense. We had that with Bill Gothard, and our, our initial uh, first five years, really, was an attempt to bring him to repentance and restoration, to repent of his false teaching, and it culminated in a book. And we did the same process that we did this time as as we wrote it, we sent it out to a variety of scholars. We had over 40 uh, academics and scholars uh, in the uh, in the leaders within the Christian 
evangelical church who uh, looked at it, corrected it, red penciled it to death for us, and then uh, we published it. Why? Because average Christian publishers won't pick it up. Hmm. There's a reason for that. They don't like to pick on false teachers within the church, and I'm not certain why. The second time was Gwen Shamblin with uh, Way Down Workshop. At the time we had the call, because we don't look at diet programs. We're not all that concerned. As you know, you've seen me. I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was told to wash my waistline, so I got it out to work and see it easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not something that I, I'm overly concerned about diet programs. All of them work to some degree for most people. But we got calls about her theology. And so as we started looking at it, we realized a few things. One is she had she she did the diet program to sneak her theology into the church. And by the time we were called, she was in um, 60,000 churches across, uh, well, 30,000 churches across 60 denominations with over a million having gone through her courses at $105 each. That's a lot of money. Uh, and so uh, after I spoke with her, realized that she was denying the Trinity, the deity of Christ, and she was firm on that issue. We issued a press release. Uh, and uh, it was when Christianity Today followed up with her to verify what we said. And she said, women don't care about doctrine. They just want to lose weight. Oh, my goodness. That things changed. So that was <laughs> instrumental in bringing about change and in, in having her exit the church. Actually, she wasn't. She didn't exit of her own free will. She went from uh, sending out programs at a thousand a week rate to receiving them back. Mm. This is kind of the same thing. The Enneagram has been around for a while, but only in New Age and some Roman Catholic circles. Joy and I had read about it in 1992 when a uh, an acquaintance we have, Father Mitch Pacwa, Roman Catholic had written Roman Catholics in a new age. Uh, And in the title, it says how good people are being deceived by the Enneagram, astrology, and Carl Jung. So he tells you right where he's at. This is in 1992. He has two chapters devoted to this to warn Roman Catholics that this is occultic. And he gives a fairly good history of it. Uh, And we didn't think much about it since that time, frankly. In uh, around the same time, Christian Research Institute did an article, which was uh, part, which was one of his chapters of his book in the CRI Journal. It didn't resurface again for us until 2016, when University Press began publishing books about the Enneagram fr- by disciples from Richard Rohr. Hmm. Now. That should cause you severe consternation as a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Severe consternation. Yes, but it didn't seem to do so. Mm. In fact, uh, uh, it became so popular that uh, uh, InterVarsity Press and Zondervan just started publishing. At this point, between Zondervan, InterVarsity Press, and... um, um, uh, Zondervan University, what's the third? Thomas Nelson. There are 15 books on the market promoting this. It has turned into a multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar industry with Enneagram coaches and master teachers and so forth. Uh, Nearly all, nearly all of which have been trained by New Agers and by Richard Rohr. So why did we get involved with it? Because this is, in my lifetime, the fastest growing heresy through the church, I would say equivalent to the current virus we have going on in culture. And nobody, almost nobody is speaking out on it. Hmm. Well, we know that there's some mega churches. Uh, Andy Stanley was one of them that was talking about the Enneagram and others. And when people like that, that are so unfortunately influential in uh, the evangelical church, and people start following that and start looking into this, uh, we understand that this is a problem. And uh, we know that um, this is a Christian heresy of the second century, and it's moved on through the years. But a question in the foreword of the book, and again, friends, uh, the book is called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret, 
Um, a question is, why would such a viewpoint be invited into the Christian church today? And then, really, the question is answered, and I would love to get uh, your uh, feedback on this. When the church neglects or rejects careful and systematic study of the Scriptures, people start looking for something else. Go ahead, Don Vino, take it away. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, ultimately, we all want our lives to matter. Uh, yes, we want things that make us feel good. I, I don't think we can get away from that. But but there's a bigger question because we look around and we go, okay, why am I here? Why does my life matter? And in Scripture, we have the answers to those questions. Why do I do the things that I do? Uh, and if we have uh, book by book, for, I am committed to this, book by book, verse by verse, in context, why did the writers write what they wrote? How did it apply to the uh, hearer or reader at that time? And what is the application then to me? If we don't do that systematically and regularly, then we are untrained in discernment. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting, and the writer to the Hebrews talks exactly about that, that those, that those who train, uh, that's train their discernment. Yeah, that's something you have to do diligently. It's like going to Planet Fitness on a regular basis. If you do that, you're going to improve your physical ability, your you know ability to move and those kinds of things. If you just become a couch potato, you're going to imbibe on whatever comes across the airwaves on television and radio. Uh, you will pick up your theology by osmosis. It just sort of drifts into your brain. Uh, but it is not trained. You are not diligent about it. And mm. too many, unfortunately, churches are not doing that diligently biblical training. Mm. And we have to get back to that. That's basic discipleship. Um, yes. and, and as the Proverbs talks about training young children up in the way that we should go, uh, we know from the New Testament, Paul writes an awful lot about equipping the saints and discipleship. And um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, by the way, we're speaking with Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach about the new book on the Enneagram and uh, Richard Rohr. Um, great video, by the way, with Marcia Montenegro explaining a little bit of the history. We'll link to that in today's podcast notes at standardforthetruth.com. But the, my first exposure to this idea of the Enneagram or the personality test or whatever you want to call it was uh, over a decade, about 15 years ago, when we went to a seminar on uh, strengthening your marriage and we uh, heard about all this. And I'm thinking, okay, are they trying to equate this personality thing to the spiritual gifts and to, you know, that kind of test. And it was a little, it was interesting to me, but I don't know, I guess I just put, didn't put much, much stock in it, but man, has it taken off. So please go back, uh, Don, and explain the basics of the Enneagram, where it started. I know the Greek word for nine was uh, Ennea, and uh, we know it, it, it's not a new thing, but it's kind of relatively new now and in Christian churches, and we need to be warned about it. We do. And and just before I do that, because mm -hmm. we have, as you know, in the, in the very first chapter, we have a roadmap. So that, and we did that because we want the average person who picks up the main not know anything about the Enneagram. Yeah, good. To be able to know what we're going to be talking about in the book. Where did it come from? Why is that important? And where will it take you? But before I do that, I want to point out on, on page 40, uh, uh, there's certain things that we should understand by the primary teachers of this that is important, that for some reason, it seems, Christian leadership has completely missed. Because in, in this sense, they are being honest. They're saying it isn't Christian. Uh, on uh, page 40 of, of our book, uh, we have a quote from Christopher Huertz, one of the authors. Uh, he's the author of... Uh, um, the uh, sacred Enneagram. <clears throat> One of my teachers, Russ Hudson, says, this isn't a type of a person, but a path to God. I believe it's sacred because as a map of our soul is a compassionate sketch of possibilities, the Enneagram is less about the nine types of people and more about nine paths back to our true selves and nine paths to divine love. Oh my goodness. So, People are trying to use this as though it's a personality profile, and they tell you it isn't a personality profile. It isn't about who you are as a person. It's about in in 
language is important because they use the words true self and false self quite a bit. Right. It is about finding the particular path that you need to take to get back to your true self. What is your true self? That is the realization that you never sinned. You aren't a sinner. The false self is the idea that you're a sinner and you have come to believe that and constructed a false narrative about who you are. So the Enneagram is a path back to the realization that, in fact, you're not a sinner. Wow. I think that's a problem. Yeah, <clears throat> I would say so. And by the way, th there's a lot of focus on self-knowledge or going back to understanding yes. ourselves. Not that it's it's not, I guess, beneficial at times to understand ourselves, but I think the more focus you put on self, the less focus we put on getting to know God, his character, his nature, and what the scriptures teach. Well, actually, yeah, and, and one of the sections we deal with is uh, because they want to say that you have to know yourself, and that's important, and they take Calvin out of context when they do that, because uh, and, and we deal with, with what Calvin wrote in, in our book here, and it's important, because Calvin says, really, to know, your, to know God is to know yourself. What is he saying? Once you realize that you are a sinner, broken, undone, uh, and be reft of any hope without God, then you get a sense of who God is. Oh my goodness! So, so yeah. it's really powerful, and they are taking it out of context and misusing it. Uh, Richard Rohr, who is sort of the guru on this at this time, is really direct on the question of what it is. He says he writes, "quote The purpose of the Enneagram is not self improvement, which would be to our ego's goal." Rather, it is a transformation of consciousness so that we realize our essence, our true self. I don't know how much clearer you can get to that. So they're writing this stuff. On page 52, we write about uh, uh, a co-writer of his, Ebert, uh, Andreas Ebert, and they authored a book in 1992 uh, titled uh, Discovering the Enneagram, an Ancient Tool for Spiritual Journey. In there, uh, Ebert writes, the Enneagram is a mysterious model of the psyche that is not originally Christian. And then he goes on to say, I believe the Enneagram can help us find a deeper and more authentic relationship with God, even though it was not discovered by Christians. So it doesn't come out of Christianity. It doesn't come from any biblical teaching. It is comes from so, another source. Now, who, page 50, who is yes. Ebert? Again, he, he's a Lutheran pastor, and he okay. co-authored uh, this book with uh, with Roman Catholic uh, Richard Rohr, okay. uh, the uh, discovering the Enneagram, and that's kind of what then started starting. And I, I suspect I haven't talked with Mitch about this. I suspect he was writing his book uh, Catholic the New Age in response to what he was seeing going on with Richard Rohr and Andreas Ebert, uh, mm. because actually. Pacwa and uh, Rohr had learned it at about the same time. Pacwa went on to discard it. Rohr went on to fully embrace it. Hmm. On page 54 of our book, we uh, look at something that Christopher Huertz said uh, when he says this, quote, regardless, he's writing about the Enneagram, where it came from. He's giving a false history, which we'll look at in a minute. Uh, at, at the end of which he writes, regardless of whether the Enneagram has its roots in Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, we do know that it wasn't until early 1900s that an Eastern Orthodox man, J.I. Gurdjieff, introduced the modern form of the Enneagram to the Western world. Now, it's we don't really know if it came out of Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, or Islam, he says. We just, we just, we, we really know where it, where it started here in the uh, in the Western world, which is through Gurdjieff. Okay, that's pretty profound. Yeah. He's given you a, a, a narrative. It goes well. We don't really know if any of this narrative is true, but we do know that this guy introduced it. Well, Gurdjieff is a uh, Russian mystic that introduced it to to the Western world in the early 1900s, uh, as according to him the explanation for the cosmos. It had nothing whatever to do with personality profiling. Uh, and uh, one of his disciples, a guy named Ospinsky, uh, said that you can discover any truth about the cosmos uh, from this, uh, this diagram, but you can only know what you bring to it. Now think about this. 
you can only get out of it what you bring to it. So if you bring something you wanted to say to it, you can make it work. Hmm. That's, uh, just, that's just silly. Yes, uh, we've got to take a break, but one of the foundational understandings that we can derive from what I'm hearing you uh, talk about in the book is the belief that, uh, the wrong belief that, as you said earlier, every person, every human being in their essence are perfect and in unity uh, with themselves, and the goal is to get in unity with the cosmos. And that, that's just, it's, it sounds so uh, mystic-infused, that kind of language. It doesn't sound like something we would read in Scripture, but we'll talk more about that. Uh, there's more information on where the history of where this came from, but we're into the early 1900s now, and now we'll make that transition when we come back from break on how it seeped into the Christian, the evangelical church, and uh, more and more. We're talking with Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach. A whole lot more when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We are speaking with Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach, and the book is called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. And uh, it's no secret that most of us, when we really dig into this, find out that it's uh, based in the occult, there's mysticism, there's a lot of history here that is not Christian, and it is a departure from the Christian faith. So we're going to continue to answer the question, how and why did this get into uh, evangelical churches and to be taught as something helpful or beneficial. Um, Don, you wanted to talk a little bit more about the roadmap and the history here of the Enneagram before we uh, talk a little bit more about Richard Rohr. We're going to do that, but just before we do the roadmap, I want to do a quote we have on page 55. It is by the co-author of The Road Back to You, the Enne an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. By the way, just think of the title, The Road Back to You. Yeah. <laughs> so where are they trying to take you? Back, back to, yourself. to you, not not to God. Mm. Uh, so even the titles are, are pretty, uh, pretty telling. Uh, but Ian Cron writes this about the origins, uh, which we're going to talk about in a minute. If its sketchy origins weren't enough to spook the mules, there is no scientific evidence that proves the Enneagram is a reliable measurement of personality. Hmm. Did you hear that? Yes. No reliable measurement of personality. No evidence. Hmm. Who cares that millions of people thought it was accurate? <laughs> Grizzly man thought he could make friends with the bears, and we know how that turned out. <laughs> that is a really apt analogy, and that is by someone promoting it. He's going... We have no evidence. The evidence is sketchy at best, which we'll see in a minute is really non-existent. Uh, and just because people believe in it doesn't make it true. You can believe false things to your detriment. So they tell you right in the book, this is on page 11 of the book. This is not hidden away somewhere in the back or uh, in end notes or something like that. This is right up there, right up front, page 11 of their book. Wow. So... <laughs> uh, that is a scary thing to me that it would make it so far into the church when each of the authors, is, as you can see, are pretty upfront that it isn't Christian, it doesn't originate in Christianity, uh, there's no scientific evidence that supports it in any way. So why are we using it? Wow, because millions so, apparently think it's accurate and it can help them millions, understand their personality. And and that's the, that's the goal. And you know, we... You, you and I have seen this kind of thing in, in the past. We we have seen the DISC profile become the rage in the church, mm -hmm. D-I-S-C. Are you a high D, a high S? Or, and, and actually, that wasn't designed as a personality profile. That was designed as a management tool for corporations. <laughs> uh, so, so that's a problem. But the church seems to grab this kind of stuff for reasons I don't quite. I guess I do understand. People want to know why they do what they do. That's That's what it is. So we have a 17-point roadmap, we call it. Now, we did this at the uh, request of my pastor and my wife, both, who kept saying, you know, the average person who picked this up is going to get lost. There's just too many characters, too many gears moving around, too mm -hmm. much stuff going on. We need to give them a way to be able to refer back and go, okay, oh, this is who this person is. This is where this came from to give them just a basic roadmap navigating through the rest of the book. So that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and as we do that, we have 17 points of basic facts. The first claim is that it goes back to the Desert Fathers. Well, actually, some of the writers want to take it all the way back to Babylon. Not true. Uh, or perhaps uh, we find it in Homer's Odyssey. That's not true. And I deal with that. Too. The claim is that <clears throat> Odyssey is an exact story of, uh, of uh, him going back to his true self from his false self. Uh, and there are nine locations he goes to. Uh, and that's promoted by uh, Beatrice Chestnut, who is a New Ager, by the way. Uh, you'll find pretty much everyone they appeal to are New Agers. Mm -hmm. uh, when, in fact, there's at least 13 places that uh, he went, and 14 if you count where he started from. So the Odyssey doesn't really work. So then the first fictional claim, the Enneagram is going back to the Desert Fathers, Evagrius Ponticus or Ramon Lull. Uh, it's a false claim, and it originated with George Gurdjieff, who, as I said, uh, is a Russian mystic, mm -hmm. uh, in an attempt to give it some credibility. Uh, in truth, none of that's happened. They weren't using the Enneagram. It doesn't go back to the first century. It doesn't go back to the fourth century. Uh, the These two, uh, uh, Evagrius Ponticus and Ramon Lull, did draw diagrams, but none of them were the Enneagram. And it was had to do with the, their view of uh, the idea that numbers had a shape. And so if a number had a shape, what would that shape look like? Jeez. <laughs> uh, if numbers had a shape, what would that number look like? Let's speculate, right. shall we? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and it's okay. I think speculation is fun until you make it spiritual and somehow <laughs> a dogmatic teaching on how we get to know God better. Mm, yeah. So if I if I can understand the shape of a number four and I can apply that to my spiritual life, that's just just not that's that's not biblical. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just not biblical. The second fictional claim uh, that Gurdjieff's followers uh, put out is that it was from a secret Sufi brotherhood. Okay, it's, first of all, it's a false claim. It's not factually been proven, and in fact, it was later debunked. But even if it was true that it came from Sufis, which is a mystical form of Islam, why would we think it had bearing on the Christian life? I'm exactly, good question. Why, right? Uh, the third claim is that the uh, original, uh, three, the original underground didn't have any numbers or types. It had, didn't have anything to do with personality. And Gurdjieff uh, thought it was a diagram of the cosmic reality, as we talked about before. In fact, he created a number of dance movements. You can still see them on, on YouTube, actually. there's a, Most of them are on there, uh, where you have uh, the dancers. They have an Enneagram behind them. They are set up in certain shapes, and they have a Sufi-type dancer in the middle uh, because he believed that you couldn't understand the Enneagram without movement. And so he created movement with some very boring music. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it wasn't exactly like the, uh, the dawning of the angel Aquarius or anything like that. No, not, not <laughs> even close. <laughs> very stiff, very rigid. I mean, they, they do a phenomenal job insofar as carrying out the movements but it is not, yeah, it's not the age of Aquarius. <laughs> uh, uh, his uh, Gurdjieff's pupil, P.D. Ospinsky, wrote a book uh, promoting Gurdjieff's ideas called The Fourth Way. And uh, he then, his stuff was adopted by uh, someone from Chile uh, who had founded a, a school in Arica, Chile. Uh, uh, Oscar Achazo is his name. He's actually Bolivian. Uh, and he didn't really promote the Enneagram in a big way. He used it. He played with it a little bit. Uh, some of the claims are that he got the information that he incorporated into it from angelic visitations, one of which was named Metatron. It sounds like a Disney character almost. Uh, and one of which is named the Green Katoom. Now, did he actually have visitations by angels? We don't really know. That's just the claims of his disciples as to where he got it. Uh, Claudio Naranjo is one of his followers that then took it and added the numbers and the types to it, 
Where did he get his stuff? Well, he got it from automatic writing. Okay, so, well, first of all, what? so he brought in the personality aspect to this, correct? Correct. And, and uh, what is automatic writing? Okay, automatic writing is when you, and you can do this with a typewriter or a computer, when you sit down with pen and paper and you sit there and then something causes your hand to move other than you. Uh, and uh, and as that, then information is communicated to the page that you can then use. It doesn't come from you. It comes from some other source, a higher source, they would say. Uh, in fact, uh, we have a, um, a video where we cut down to about four minutes of uh, Claudio Naranjo saying, number one, we knew this wasn't ancient. We made that up. Why did you make it up? And he said, well, we took the ideas of Oscar Wilde, who said, if you want something to be uh, famous, attributed to a famous person. So we made it up that it's ancient in order to give it credibility. Oh, uh, it didn't come from history. It came from a higher source. Uh, and so automatic writing for him, angelic visitations for uh, Oscar Achazo, uh, neither one of which are rooted in anything historical, but simply from some other source, a higher source, a metaphysical source, unrelated to anything that we see in history or scripture. So I go back and ask again, why would we think that this is something that is good for the church? And why? Well, answer that question. Why would a pastor or a leader of a church that doesn't have a background in mysticism, let's just say an evangelical church, um, why would you want to bring something like this in, and, and what would be the purpose of it? Ah, that's a great question. The, I'm going to use a term that you may or may not be familiar with. It has to do with what I call the good old boy circuit. <clears throat> the good old boy circuit is, I know Pastor Phil, and Pastor Phil is a good, solid pastor, and Pastor Phil is using this or has the speaker coming or whatever. I, therefore, don't really need to check it out because Pastor Phil is a reliable source of information. And he is using this to the benefit. I mean, his church numbers are growing and his people are excited. And I want my church numbers to grow and my people to be excited. And so I get this from Pastor Phil and I start using it. And then I pass it on to my good old boyfriend down the road. Uh, that's one way this stuff permeates the church. Now, I'm not denigrating having friends in ministry, but we are called to keep each other accountable. My pastor and I keep each other accountable. When I say something or teach something, he calls me and goes, how did you know that that's true? What is your source for that? And I do the same with him. We need to be accountable. That's really important, and, and largely that's not happening. Secondly, when you have it from a source like University Press, Thomas Nelson Publishers, um, um, uh, do you think that those are Christian publishers? The answer is yes. Is there an illusion that those Christian publishers have vetted their books theologically before they are printed and sent out to the Christian public? Yes, that's the illusion, but that is not the truth. They largely depend depend on their authors and writers to substantiate their claims. If they think the book will sell well, then they print it. Uh, that's a problem. That's how mm -hmm. it got into the church, frankly. And I'm just, I just pulled up a couple articles. If you search and boy, you've got to really be discerning on this. I pulled one up from a year ago, relevant magazine, how the Enneagram can point you to God um, when, from my understanding of what you're describing, it's all about pointing to self and understanding yourself is it not well and that's what they tell you now as you start following the enneagram here's 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 the secret that you find out from richard Rohr. you ah. follow this all through because we deal with their theology extensively so i'm going to put out two big words i'll try to define them but we deal with this in depth in the book and that is a panentheist not a pantheist a panentheist and perennialist richard Rohr holds both of those views in a heretical way. Panentheist is the idea uh, that the world is God's body. So God is growing and learning as the world grows and learns, and they are kind of mutually creating each other. When God, according to Rohr, spoke and everything began existence, that was the incarnation of the Christ. 
The cosmos is the Christ. And what the Enneagram is leading you to realize is that you, guess what, are the Christ. Oh, boy. <laughs> Why? Because you are part of the cosmos, which is the Christ. And so as you can navigate through the Enneagram on whatever path it is that you need, one through nine, to get back to your original true self, what you realize is you didn't sin, you're already with God because you are in the cosmos, which is the Christ. That is the goal of the Enneagram, to help you realize that you are Christed, as he puts it. Uh, the second is perennialism, and that is the idea that all religions have at their core the truth about God. So, in, in a sense, it is not relevant whether you're a Christian, a Buddhist, or a Hindu. You all have the same truth, and it will ultimately get you to the same place, which is a realization that you are part of the cosmos and therefore already with God. Jeez. You know, we have two minutes before we have to take a break, and one of the things I'm just really being reminded of during this uh, conversation, Don, is that we've got to know God's Word, and we've got to be able to recognize counterfeits. I just flipped up to another article over at, I understand Relevant Magazine and how they can take a t stance on something, but or Christianity Astray, but the Gospel Coalition, there's a guy named Joe Carter that wrote, uh, evangelicals concerned about the Enneagram should probably worry less since it's most likely a harmless fad that will fade away in a few years. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I my thoughts are this. That would be like someone standing up and saying, you don't really have to worry about the coronavirus. It's just a small sickness that will pass away within a few weeks. It can be deadly. Mm -hmm. And in this case, good it point. Is Great analogy. <laughs> I like that's uh, there may be a parallel there, Don. Thank you. Yeah, that's it's, it's just astounding to me. And these guys, I mean, you you look at these websites or some of these ministries and, you know, they maybe have some some credibility and you, you, you go and you read stuff like that and you go, well, wait a minute. What about contending for the faith, warning the church and having a little discernment? Anyway, a whole lot more to get to. And uh, we're going to have to take a break already, but the book is called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret, and from Don Vino and Joy Vino and Marcia Montenegro. More when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. There is an obvious spiritual danger associated with the Enneagram of personality, and uh, when viewed as a religion to unto itself or a, a means by which to achieve some sort of spiritual liberation, this obvious, obviously contradicts the Bible. It has a form of godliness but denies its power, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Um, just one note before we get to the Don Vino, our guest today. Uh, again, we're going to continue to pick up a little bit of history and talk about Richard Rohr. Um, the Enneagram Institute— uh, is correct that we are spiritual beings and we are not living as we are meant to. Well, that's because of sin. Um, but the solution is not to get in touch with our, quote, true self or true nature. It is to seek God, to cry out to God. So there's a we've got to make that, uh, we've got to differentiate there. So, Don, we're going through the roadmap, the Enneagram 101, the roadmap, and there's some very fascinating people in the past and points, but one of the key figures, uh, number 11, and that would be Richard Rohr. Just tell us a little bit about his influence and what we can know that would help us here. Okay, uh, Richard Rohr uh, is a uh, Franciscan monk uh, who learned the uh, uh, Enneagram shortly after he graduated from a seminary. Uh, and he then also became acquainted with uh, psychic intuitive Helen Palmer. Now, that has to tell you something. So mm. he's incorporating the Enneagram with psychic intuitive kinds of things. Uh, and so he got very deeply involved in New Age thought, uh, went on eventually to found a center, the Center for Contemplative uh, Prayer and Action, uh, which is a social action. He's a social activist of sorts. Uh, but he's very enamored with mysticism, panentheism, which we talked about briefly, mm. and uh, perennialism. Uh, so, you know, basically God is in everything. Uh, um, not in everything, but God is uh, uh, 
the creation is the Christ. Let's put it that way. In fact, he writes the universal Christ. That's what it's really all about. Uh, another character is uh, uh, that, that you had mentioned that you liked, not a character, but uh, Martian Montenegro, our co-author, had written an article in 2011. Now, she's a New Ager, so she's positively horrified as a believer now. She yes. was a professional astrologer to see what she had left behind as being central into the church today. Mm. Uh, and so she had written in 2011, the Enneagram GPS, Gnostic Path, Path to the Self, mm, yes. which is where this is uh, ultimately taking you. Uh, so you can't, and we point this out in point 17, you can't disconnect the Enneagram from Richard Rohr. Why? Because he is the one who provides it with a theological base, a theological core, uh, uh, as well as integrating all of this new age stuff. So we spend a great deal of time in the book, starting with chapter five, talking about the question of who does he serve? We need to ask certain questions about anybody who is bringing, quote, truth, unquote, into the evangelical church. What are their views about the nature of God? What are their views about the nature of sin? What are their views about the nature of salvation, uh, the human condition? All of those things come into play because if they are wrong in one of those essential areas, they are likely wrong everywhere. It's going to lead you astray. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> my friend, the late Norman Geiser, we asked him one time, how is it that so many people seem to drift left theologically and politically? And he made an interesting observation. He said, if you fly a single-engine airplane, you continually have to steer right in order to stay going straight. Why? Because it is a natural, uh, the natural uh, uh, aspect of flying that it naturally drifts left because of the way the propeller turns. I think it is a natural inclination of the human spirit to go left, to go away from the Word of God, not to go forward. So you have to steer right to stay going straight. Okay, so Richard Rohr, which God does he serve? Well, he tells us uh, several things. In the preface uh, to uh, uh, his book, uh, Discovering the Enneagram, the Ancient Road for uh, Spiritual Journey, uh, Crossroad Publishing, in the preface they write, it's a very ancient tool for the discernment of spirits, for the struggle with our capital sin, our false self. Our capital sin is our false self. Hmm. And the encounter with our true self in God. So the purpose of the Enneagram is to recognize uh, that our sin is this belief that we have a false self. Uh, it, or is our false self. It's the belief that we're sinners. Uh, what we need to do is to have an encounter with a true self, which is a realization that we are already in God. We are sinless already. Uh the Enneagram, he writes, is a mysterious model of the psyche that is not originally Christian. We mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, Rohr asserts that the Enneagram is another one of the endlessly brandished swords of the spirit. Did you realize that the sword of the spirit is, is, is one of the swords of the spirit is the word of God, and one of them is the Enneagram? Oh, I, I did not. Where, where is that? Can you give me a chapter and verse That's on that one, page Don? Page 71. Well, yeah, chapter and <laughs> verse. That's in the, that is in the book of Imaginations. Yeah, right yeah, there. the first imaginations. <laughs> the first imaginations, exactly. Jeez, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and like the spirit of truth will always set you free. So the Enneagram is one of the endlessly brandished swords of the spirit, like the spirit of truth, it will always set you free. So if wow. you use the Enneagram, you can truly become free indeed. Why? Because you realize you're not a sinner. You're already with God. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my so, goodness. That's got new age God all over it. Serve? Yes, it exactly. Is, absolutely. Positively. So, unequivocally. Let me ask you this, Don. For some of the, our listeners that are more maybe mature believers and more discerning, they're probably either shaking their heads or scratching their heads right now. And my question is, things like that are very popular or have become popular, whether you can call it trendy or not, is a, another conversation. But yoga, uh, prayer circles, um, all these different things that have been accepted to some degree in a lot of churches. is Can you put the Enneagram up there with these kinds of things that 
we either justify because of something maybe we think good that it can give us or do for us, or, or because we just want to ignore the spirituality behind them. Yes, we we don't pay careful attention to what is being taught at the core level of any of these things. The yoga is is one of those, obviously. Uh, there's also this sort of um, illusion that we can that God can redeem anything, mm. uh, and so if it can benefit us spiritually, God can sort of Christianize it. Now, we, chapter 8 of the book actually deals with that very question. Good. Uh, can God redeem anything? I had that highlighted. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, well, and because it's a really critical question. It answers the question you just read here. Uh, the answer is no. God can use anything he desires. He's okay. used false prophets to punish exactly. his people. Exactly, exactly. Right? He, he, he's used uh, pagan rulers to punish his people or to protect his people. Uh uh, in a variety of ways. So God can do what he wants because, of course, he's God. But he can't do anything that is not even logically consistent. He can't make a square circle, for example. And he can't. And he doesn't redeem everything. For example, I'll give you, this is kind of crass. We don't use this in our book, but we could. Could God, and, cause, and I do this because someone tried to argue with me online that God can redeem anything. And I said, okay, can he redeem prostitution? And he said, well, of course. I said, okay, so what would it be like to children of God and use prostitution for evangelism because God can redeem it? And he goes, no, no, no. No, God can redeem the prostitutes. I go, okay, that's different. God can redeem people. He doesn't redeem evil practices. Practice is key word, and in, on page 125, uh, you lay out a handful, the Ouija board, astrology, tarot cards, um, um, energy healing like Reiki, casting spells, you know, you know, forms of witchcraft. God cannot redeem these things. He speaks very sternly about them, particularly in the Old Testament, but the people that are engaged in these practices, God can redeem the human heart. Correct. That is correct. Mm. He can redeem people, and he will redeem the cosmos. We do know that that happens. He cleanses the entire cosmos after, uh, at the end of all things, new heavens and a new earth. Uh, so he does that, but he doesn't redeem evil practices. Uh, so is the Enneagram a Christian practice or an evil practice? Well, it falls in the same category as yoga, astrology, and in fact, uh, Marsha Montenegro has pointed out uh, that astrology, as far as uh, a predictor of your personality, has more going for it than the Enneagram does. <laughs> how does how did she explain that? Well, uh, it, it's actually pretty easy. It's more widely used, and we tend as humans to read ourselves into particular personality types. Mm -hmm. So if you were born like I was born in September, and so technically I would be a Virgo, uh, and if I look at the uh, descriptions of the personality of someone as a Virgo, I can find aspects of my personality that are going to fit. Why? Because the personality aspects fit everybody at some point in their life or at some level of their life. And so you can read yourself into it. You can cause yourself to conform to it in a, in a way. The Enneagram is no different. If you think of it as a personality profile, you can read yourself into it by disregarding certain aspects of your personality and keying in on others. In addition to which, the, the promoters of this have realized it's a problem because it doesn't really clearly identify anybody. Uh, and so they've added now wings and other kinds of things. So you're mostly this, but then you have a wing in this direction and a wing in this direction. So they're incorporating other elements. Mm. Uh, and uh, as we pointed out earlier, there's nothing scientifically provable from this. It isn't tested in any real way. It's all anecdotal. Uh, there's been one, what's called a psychometric test performed, which is a legitimate test. Uh, and uh, at the end of which, and we quote that in here, uh, the individual who did it, uh, Mendenwalt, uh, said, you know, because of how it performs on the psychometric testing, you are better off not using it because it is dangerous. So not only is it not helpful, it's actually wow. dangerous. Yes. 
Interesting. But, and we've got to take a break right there, Don. And uh, thank you for just so much work and I'm sure research that went into this book with you and Marsha Montenegro. Um, the book, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret, we have it linked up in today's podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Don Vino, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you. It's been great. Uh, you're welcome. All right, more. Uh, we'll tell you about uh, the guests the rest of this week when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many guests, so little time. But we've got a good one coming up tomorrow with Bruce Baker, Dr. Bruce Baker. He is uh, in hospice. He's got ALS. And as he says, I'm dying. Um, but he wrote a book called For Thou Art With Me. You guys that are looking at the world and the culture and the coronavirus and anything else that you're tempted to be worried about or fearful about, this interview with him, this podcast tomorrow with Dr. Bruce Baker, will give you much-needed perspective. Um, coming up Thursday, Jan Markell, Olive Tree Views, Olive Tree Ministries. We're talking about uh, her uh, recent article, A World Turned Upside Down, and just get an update from Jan. It's so great that she... Uh, comes on every other month or so. And Friday, Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs. We always need that perspective on true Christian persecution, what's happening to the church around the world, not just here in America. Um, it may be coming, but not in the same way it's happening to our family, our brothers and sisters in other countries. So tomorrow, Dr. Bruce Baker, Jan Markell Thursday. Todd Nettleton Friday, and uh, so much more next week. We've got some surprises for you, a big one uh, next week, but we'll get we'll tell you about that on Friday. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember that we are Shadow Band on Facebook, the Stand Up For The Truth Facebook page, so please, it takes you to go directly to the page and share our podcast, please, on Facebook and Twitter, wherever else you would like to. We appreciate you guys. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter. 